Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show where you will learn about the science of eating for optimal mental and physical health. My first guest is Dr. Rupi Aujla, and this episode originally aired in April of 2020. My guest today is Dr. Rupi Ajla, a medical doctor specialized in general practice. He is a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle changes to heal and prevent illnesses and wants to make healthy lifestyle enjoyable and deliciously acceptable and accessible to everyone. He is the founder of The Culinary Medicine, a nonprofit in the United Kingdom, and is the author of The Doctor's Kitchen. And we're talking about this book today, Eat to Beat Illness, 80 Simple Delicious Recipes Inspired by the Science of Food as Medicine. Welcome, Rupi. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am eager to just get on with it and talk with you about setting up a lifestyle, a way of eating which supports strong brain, heart, eyes, bones, blood, lungs, etc., etc. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, one of the reasons, w w the, I suppose the, um, the inspiration behind the book was the podcast uh, that I started a couple of years ago where we discussed in individual topics about eating for your heart, eating for your brain, and it became really popular and people wanted a little bit more information on it. So I decided to just write the whole book on it. Um, my first book was really about how we need to take nutrition seriously. It's kind of like a manifesto, whereas this book is kind of like the blueprint that shows people how they can improve their well-being today by looking at the nutrition science behind brain health, eye health, immune health, and dissecting it in ways that give people tangible ideas about what kind of foods can help with that, as well as the lifestyle practices. But in the final chapter, I invite users that, or readers to, to zoom out and really look at the similarities between eating for all those different things. And you realize it's all the same stuff. It's always the same. It's plant-focused. It's high-fiber diets. It's lots of variety, lots of quality fats, and eating in time. And when you apply those principles, you are naturally going to be looking after all different aspects of your well-being, your brain health, your eye health, because your body intuitively knows how to look after itself if you give it the right tools, the right fuel. Um, and so Eat To Be Honest is really my desire to improve people's knowledge and, and help people along the way and show people how you can amplify your defenses ever getting ill in the first place. And when we talk about eating to beat illness or eating to maintain high quality health, you're talking about not just mm -hmm. the, the body and the systems, but also our emotional life, about about how, how we think and feel. Yes, exactly. You know, one of the chapters is all about nutritional psychiatry, which is how we can use food as an adjunct to traditional therapies that we have. There's a really interesting movement going on in the psychiatry field where we're recognizing, you know, food isn't just fuel. Food is going to be feeding your microbiota, your specialized microbes in your gut that release nutrients from your food. They digest uh, different sorts of um, um, and release micronutrients as well as digesting food for us. They create neurotransmitters. They balance inflammation. There's a whole world of different activities that this population does, and one of which is actually improving our mood. Uh, and one of the reasons why improving your diet can actually have tangible benefits on mental health issues. 
And when we talk about improving our mood, we're not talking about having a a sweet treat that gives us that instant boost or that instant elevation. We're talking about using high quality foods, right, to to change brain chemistry. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's lots of different ways in which we can use lifestyle practices to change our brains, whether that be talking therapy, whether it be stress reduction, uh, stress reduction therapies. Uh, and whether that be food as well, the types of food that we associate with uh, uh, principles of healthy eating. So colors, fibers, quality fats, omega-3 fats. And, and this is all fascinating for me because it just gives us another clinical tool in our toolbox to to help patients along the way without just relying on pharmaceuticals and other interventions that we have. And they're just as important um, but, you know, we need to uh, put a bit more focus on the diet and lifestyle that's traditionally been left aside. Let's talk about specific foods and their impact. For example, what are some of the foods that will make us happier besides sugar and alcohol? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, certainly there are foods that will give us that dopamine rush. And unfortunately, sugar and salt combinations are one of those. But those are ones that you don't really want to rely on. And the types of foods that I'm talking about are really uh, for the long-term benefits of your general well-being and your mental health. And so specific foods, I would say, uh, are the beans, legumes, um, the different sorts of uh, high-fiber foods that we have access to uh, and we know nurture that microbiota population. Um, it's quality fats in the form of uh, nuts like walnuts and, and um hazelnuts, but also uh, small fish. So mackerel um, and uh, uh-huh. sardines, anchovies, they all contain those long chain fatty acids that we know that are integral for brain health, uh, as well as improving our mood. Um, and also uh, getting complex uh, complexity and variety of culinary herbs. They're, they're fantastic sources of different micronutrients and phytonutrients that we find in plants. And when you consume those, uh, you know, it adds to the added complexity of your food that improves your microbiota and actually can have direct impact on your cells. So are there specific herbs that are advantageous for our mental health or mood elevation? And I don't mean in a recreational sense. I mean in a, in a, in a yeah. culinary sense. Yeah, in a culinary sense, again, it comes down to variety. But specifically, there have been some uh, studies looking at saffron. Mm. Lavender and uh, off the top of my head, I think curcumin may have been one of them, although I'm not too sure of the efficacy of those. But to be honest, rather than using food prescriptively or like a pill, I prefer to look at your diet holistically and try to get as many different types of those different categories in. So when it comes to herbs, you know, rather than relying on things like ashwagandha or ginkgo or, um, you know, things that you can find in supplemental form, actually adding herbs like basil, rosemary, thyme, they can be just as impressive when it comes to adding complexity to your food. And mm-hmm. that's really where the, the, the focus should be. So let's talk about some of the best all-around foods that support m- multiple systems within the body that you would recommend. A patient comes in and says, I want to step up my game with my health or I've been feeling, you know, weak, tired, or that even if they have some diagnoses that they want to support with culinary medicine. Yeah, I mean, so the way I like to start a consultation like that is ask them what they like. You know, if they like oats, great. If they don't like oats, I'm not going to recommend oats. Mm. Uh, The kind of ways in which I try and dissect what people would want to eat is by asking them what their favorite kind of meals are. Uh, what kind of cuisines they like. Do they like Chinese? Uh, do they like Middle Eastern food? Do they like British cuisine, American cuisine? How can we make uh, a, a, a burger that's actually got tons more fiber in? It's actually one of the things that we do in Coloring Medicine, which is a nonprofit um, that we started a couple of years ago. We try and ascertain what the patient's able to do in terms of healthy behavior changes and then make it personalized to them because there's no point me just saying, have kale salads, have walnuts, have pears, if they're not going to do it. Uh, And unfortunately, that's the case in a lot of people. So rather than bombarding people with, you know, you need to get these ingredients, you need to buy this, you need to stock that, it's it's about collaborating with them in front of you and trying to figure out what's the best next step for them. Um, Is there any generalized food that you say you should have some of this every day? If you do one thing... I would say... 
Yeah, yeah. I would say if you, if you do one thing, I would say get a variety of different greens in your diet. Um, and greens can come in a multi, in a multitude of different forms: broccoli, um, uh, arugula, uh, different sorts of uh, leaves, uh, spinach. You know, it's pretty fascinating just how many different chemicals you find in them. Yes, but also the impact on uh, different states: um, inflammation states, immune states, your gut. Um, it's it's really impressive. Uh, so I try and get greens in at every mealtime, personally. So greens are the go-to food, prescription for everybody, regardless. It's then finding the green that appeals to you, that you can tolerate at a minimum and enjoy at a maximum. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, a hack that I always use is I finely chop spinach and I throw that in at the end of a meal, uh, whether I'm making a stew, a casserole, a curry, uh, because the, the residual heat will wilt them and uh, it just increases the nutrient density of your meal effortlessly. Oh, yeah, and, and it's yummy. I, I happen to like spinach. Let's go take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Rupi Ajla. We're talking about his book, Eat to Beat Illness, 80 Simple Delicious Recipes Inspired by the Science of Food as Medicine. To learn more, please visit thedoctorskitchen.com. On Twitter at doctors underscore kitchen, on Facebook, The Doctor's Kitchen, and on Instagram, doctors underscore kitchen. Here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We're back, continuing the conversation with Dr. Rupi Aujla, which originally aired in April of 2020. We're talking about the science of eating for optimal mental and physical health. Let's get back to it. So Rupi, prior to the break, we talked about the best all-around food that you recommend, and you tell us that we should eat green, find the green that we like, and eat lots of it. What about superfoods? Is that really a thing? Yeah, so superfoods are, are actually a marketing term. It doesn't really come up in the literature at all. There's a term called functional foods, but superfoods is completely made up. In all honesty, I really do believe that all foods deserve a super status because even your humble carrot, your simple red cabbage, your peas, your aubergine, they all have incredible, incredible benefits to our health when taken as part of a healthy diet. You know, somebody asked me, you know, if you had a choice of five different ingredients at the salad bar or one superfood item, be that, I don't know, kale or uh, something of that nature, what would you choose? And always the choice should be as many different variety of ingredients, not just one plate of one food. And I think we need to be a little bit more mindful of that, actually, and actually teach people that it's not about singular ingredients. It's about getting as much complexity because we are complex beings that require different nutrients and different sources. I'm giggling because I'm a kale lover myself. and uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there, there is such a thing is too much of a good thing can be a bad thing because I gave myself a kidney stone from eating so much kale. Oh, no. So, I mean, you know, we need <laughs> oh, to be, no, poor thing. we need to be aware, you know, that, that if we're eating so much of one thing, that that actually undermines the body's balance. Absolutely. It's like, you know, someone who hears that fiber is really good for them and they just eat a ton of fiber and then they'll get the horrendous abdominal cramps from that because your body, A, is probably not used to it, but B, you shouldn't be having it that much quantity. So whenever I, somebody asks me about certain ingredients or whatever, I always say, look, there's two things you want to ask yourself. What's the quality of your ingredient and what's the dose? So it can, you can apply that to anything, like whether it's water, whether you're talking about animal products, whether you're talking about greens, what's the quality of the ingredient and how much am I meant to be eating of it? Um, and, and I think, you know, once we become a lot more intuitive about those honest questions, we can actually lead ourselves to be a lot more healthy effortlessly rather than trying to mimic what other people are doing. I like the word dose that you use because it goes back to using food as medicine, that when we think about how we make our food choices, when we talk about dosing ourselves, you would not want to overdose yourself on anything. 
Absolutely, including water. You know, yes. there's a safe limit. There's a there's you know an unsafe limit, and the unsafe limit is too little or too much. And the safe limit is in between, which is around 1.5 to 2.5 liters per day of clean water. And and the same thing goes for everything, really. So yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that because I, I use the word dose not to medicalize or make foods unclinical, but just to give people an understanding of you know what this is chemistry. Yes. And when we're dealing with chemicals, you need to think about uh, you need to think about it within these parameters. Let's talk about red meat. There's been so much in the media telling us that we should reduce our red meat intake, and for that matter, all animal animal protein sources should be reduced, except these good small fatty fish that you mentioned in the in the last segment. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about yeah. that. What's your opinion on red meats? So I think overall, my opinion of animal products is the same for red meat. It's treat them as luxury items. Treat them as items that we would have traditionally cherished. So as hunter-gatherers, we wouldn't have had steaks and meat products every single day. It just wouldn't have happened because we, you have to hunt them, you have to prepare them, you have to preserve them. They're a prized, prized commodity. And we would have been surviving mainly off plants. That's the reality of the situation. And so when we have the excess of all the different animal products that we have today, it's no wonder that we're getting ill because our bodies aren't actually designed to deal with this much meat. And so when it comes to the red meat equation, you know, these new papers that have come out have said that red meat is completely fine, it's harmless, it's in complete contradiction Mm. to what the WHO says. So I think we need to be really careful about headline papers and actually how much and the quality of the evidence that is used for those as well. So I'm I'm quite uh, like rigid with not rigid I'm I'm quite clear with my position which is treat meat items like luxury items if you choose to eat them at all but focus on the things that we know are healthful and that's quality plants lots of fiber lots of quality fats and a plant focused diet. I love the terminology luxury item to use the animal protein as a luxury item and it makes complete sense. You know, we don't feel yeah. good in yeah. general if we if we are overdosing ourselves on animal protein. Yeah, I mean, everyone can can relate to that time where they've eaten too much, or you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, and you know, like it, it impacts your digestive system hugely. And you know, when people transition to a hundred percent plant based diet, it's no wonder they feel great if they've if they've transitioned from a diet that was very heavy in animal products because. It's, it's gonna it's gonna zap your energy uh, digesting all that food. So you know, and that isn't a, an advert for going a hundred percent vegan because I think that some people do need meat in their diet, and some people thrive on hundred percent plant based diets. Other people don't. So again, it comes down to that intuitiveness of like, what's right for you? What's right for the individual? What's right for the patient? Let's touch upon the connection between good nutrition and cancer prevention and treatment of cancer. Mm, yeah, so I wrote the chapter and it was probably the hardest chapter uh, it was to write because I never want people to think it's their fault for having cancer. And I also, you know, I don't want to give people the impression that you can eat your way out of cancer. We have therapies for a reason. And, I, I you know, there's a lot of people peddling um treatments using juices and, and all that kind of stuff and actively telling people to, sh- to shy away from conventional therapy. And I think that is a very, very dangerous thing. And that's why traditionally doctors have not been uh, very keen to get involved in the nutrition conversation because of this taboo. So what I want to do is actually just go for the evidence. And, and the NIH have actually uh, listed a couple of foods um, like turmeric, ginger, uh, garlic that we know have anti-cancer benefits. And really, when you look at the big studies and the associations of cancer and, and uh, diet, we know the more plants you have in the diet, the less likely cancer is to arise. And that can be from a number of reasons, like you know, the greens that we talked about, the variety, the impact on the microbiome, um, all these different factors. So the more plants, the better. And I think that's the overriding message um, that I, I had from that chapter, as well as all the other lifestyle measures like exercise, yoga, stress reduction techniques. These all can protect us against this debilitating condition that, unfortunately, one in two of us will will, um, uh, come into contact with. 
Well, and also, I think that what we're also talking about is the reduction of inflammation, right? That the, the, this type of culinary medicine reduces inflammation in the body, which then reduces the risk of the cancer. Yeah, so inflammation is another topic I spent a whole chapter talking about because it underpins so many different chronic diseases of our time. Um, it's also probably one of the least understood concepts as well because inflammation in our body is essentially the reason why we've been able to evolve and survive through harsh climates and harsh terrain because we've been able to develop an immune system that can fight infections, can clot our blood, deal with external and internal stresses by releasing inflammation. But it's the excess of inflammation that is underpinning a lot of what we see, one of which is cancer, but also high blood pressure, diabetes, even mental health issues can be attributed to an excess of inflammation in the blood that crosses into the brain, causing its impact uh, on mental health. So yeah, the excess of inflammation and trying to treat that with uh, plant-focused diets, anti-inflammatory um, uh, molecules in the in the form of herbs and spices, uh, as well as improving our gut microbiota, is, is something that is going to definitely reduce uh, inflammation and also protect us from uh, cancer as well. Let's talk a little bit about your global journey with the recipes in the book, because the recipes that you have created and shared are by no means boring. They are rich in taste and color. <laughs> And personally, I am after the Sri Lankan cashew curry because I'm oh, nice. a lover of spice. Talk a little bit. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yes. I love experimenting with different cuisines. And that's really part of my experience working in the NHS where we come into contact with so many different people from different backgrounds, whether it be Chinese, Middle Eastern, French, Indian, you know, you name it. We have them here in the UK and London. And you know, making healthy eating accessible to all has to be reflective of different people's cultures. And also, I think there's so much to celebrate with our global community. And the way we do that is with shared experiences around a table. And yeah. I can't think of anything more enjoyable than creating a, a beautiful Sri Lankan curry or a Korean stir fry vegetable dish or, you know, the Cajun sweet potato breakfast dish that I've got in there. You know, there's, there's so many different ways in which we can enjoy uh, the cultural aspects and the beauty of food as well as the health-giving benefits as well. Well, your book is a winner. We're talking about Eat to Beat Illness, 80 Simple Delicious Recipes Inspired by the Science of Food as Medicine. My guest who I want to thank for hanging out with me is Dr. Rupi Ajla. And to learn more about Rupi's work and the nonprofit which is culinary medicine, right? Go to the doctorskitchen.com on Twitter at doctors underscore kitchen on Facebook, the doctors kitchen and on Instagram doctors underscore kitchen. Rupi, tell us a little bit about the podcast when new episodes drop. Oh, sure. So the podcast comes out uh, every week. Uh, we've done about 30 episodes thus far. We've had so many downloads. I think it's over 2 million now. And uh, it's a great way of sharing information with me just chatting with another nutrition person or someone who has an interest in it, and uh, you getting to listen along. Wonderful. So tune in. And is the show also called Eat to Beat Illness? The show is called The Doctor's Kitchen. The Doctor's Kitchen. Fantastic. Thanks for hanging yeah. out with me, and thanks for making this book. The recipes are awesome, and I recommend them. Go out and cook yourself to better health. <laughs> thanks, Rupi. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. conversation about the science of eating for optimal mental and physical health. My next guest is Dr. Joel Furman, and this episode originally aired in July of 2018. Let's get back to it. My guest today is Dr. Joel Furman. He is a board-certified family physician, seven-time New York Times best-selling author, and internationally recognized expert on nutrition and natural healing. He specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional methods. 
For more than 30 years, Dr. Furman has shown us that it is possible to achieve sustainable weight loss and reverse heart disease, diabetes, and many other illnesses using smart nutrition. The book we're talking about today is Eat for Life, the breakthrough nutrient-rich program for longevity, disease reversal, and sustained weight loss. Welcome, Dr. Furman. Thanks for joining us on the show and providing us very important information about how we can take control of our health. Thank you. Great to be here. So talk a little bit about the concept of us holding our health in our hands, because we often think that we are the victim of our DNA. I know. It's just, you know, there's so much, you should say, misinformation that people have, you know, began to actually believe this idea that our health is predominantly genetic, and that we're not in control and we need drugs to get well. And you know what? The last two decades, these advancements in nutritional science have made 100% clear that you don't have to have a heart attack or a stroke. We can put that these are diseases of nutritional ignorance and with, an, with nutritional excellence, we'd have a heart attack free nation. And even most cancers, I'm saying 90% of cancers would never have to occur if people took proper care and ate properly. But you know, the, the most encouraging thing is that these diseases that afflict most of us, high blood pressure, being overweight, high cholesterol, diabetes, are reversible with the right type of nutritional um, interventions. And you know that's what I've been involved with for the last three decades in telling people that they don't have to be sick and that nutritional excellence can reverse disease. And as you probably know from looking at my book, all these people that have reversed their illnesses from autoimmune illnesses like rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis and psoriasis. But the, but the bread and butter of medical professions work, treating people with high blood pressure and high cholesterol and diabetes are quickly reversed and people are able to get back to normal and not have a longer life without getting dementia or the mental you know, diminishing mental and physical capacity that afflicts almost everybody. And certainly, certainly who wants to be alive and live their life in a nursing home. But, but, you know, but today we're thrust with a, with a new issue, of course, and that's people that are ill from eating prop improperly could die, in, you know, or can be an urgent risk of dying from a COVID infection. So that we have all this put together today right now going on. So I want to, I want to ask you something about the mindset of the typical American, because we see so many advertisements on TV for pharmaceutical companies that tell you, if you take this drug or that drug, it will help whatever condition that you are are experiencing, which is maybe the easy way out, but that you could experience a whole host of other conditions as a result of this medication. And we tend to want the easy way out by the prescription pad, by the, by, you know, by taking a pill. And what I'm hearing you say very loud and clear is by just taking better care of ourselves and eating more consciously that we can prevent and reverse a lot of these conditions. The vast majority. And, you know, I have to say there is no easy way out. Yeah. The drugs we, drugs we use for autoimmune disease cause cancer, and people wind up suffering with leukemia or some unusual cancer once they're on those drugs for a few decades. When we give people medications for high blood pressure, certain medications increase risk of breast cancer, for example, but other medications, just lowering your diastolic blood pressure too low to get your systolic in the favorable range, you're lowering diastolic to a to a degree where you don't get enough oxygen perfusion of the heart during diastole and you have irregular heartbeat like atrial fibrillation caused by the blood pressure medications and now you got to go on drugs for atrial fibrillation and those medications have side effects and blood thinners then you're on blood thinners and proton pump inhibitors and those medications cause heart attacks and it, you know there's no easy way out once you're on this once you're in this medical merry-go-round, you're then treating the side effects of one medications with more medications and, and people's lifespans are not extended. They're not seeing lower risks of heart attacks. We're not seeing tremendous benefits against cancer. We're going nowhere. You know, it's still 70% of the population over the age of 65 are still dying at the same age of a heart attack and stroke in spite of all these treatments and medications given them. And the rate of people dying with diabetic and, and getting diabetic complications of blindness and kidney failure is still at the, is not, not seeing significant improvements. What I'm saying is if we're going to see a radical improvement in the health of our population, you can't get there through medical care. 
It's not medical science that's going to get us there. It's like hitting yourself with a hammer and expecting a pill that's going to take the way of the pain when you hit yourself with a hammer again the next day. We've got to deal with cause and dealing with cause is a hundred times more effective than just taking drugs while you continue to, while you continue to abuse your body with food. And let's talk about high quality nutrition. I mean, you talk about nutritional excellence. What I think we're talking about is eating a diet that makes perfect sense once you elaborate on what that is. The foundational principle, of course, is eating a diet rich in phytochemicals and antioxidants and getting a broad diversity of phyto, of these nutrients available in the plant kingdom, you know, without exceeding our um, caloric and without exceeding our need for calories. We have to, we actually have to go after moderate caloric restriction to maintain an ideal weight while we expose ourselves to a huge amount of micronutrients. And we do that. And by the way, when you get micronutrient adequacy, when you have enough phytochemicals and antioxidants from eating the greens and the onions and the mushrooms and the berries, when you have enough of that, it naturally decreases your appetite. You, you stop being the calorie consuming monster because the right foods give you the right feedback to your hypothalamus to shut down the apostat. You know, mm-hmm. so, but what I'm saying right now too, of course, is getting back to your original question is I have this acronym G-BOMBS. G-B-O-M-B-S. So people can know the foods we're talking about that have the most scientific support and the most efficacy to reduce potential of getting cancer and the most disease reversal effects. And the G-BOMBS stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds like flax seeds, chia seeds, Green vegetables, meaning leafy greens like salads, but also cooked and and walked in other types of greens like broccoli and artichokes and asparagus. And of course, um, different types of beans, including edamame and soybeans and red beans and chickpeas and lentils. And, you know, onions include, of course, leeks and scallion and onions and garlic and mushrooms with a multiple variety of mushrooms that we have that have anti-cancer effects are just incredibly um, protective food against cancer. So we could throw a dart at any of those foods and describe incredible studies showing their efficacy, but also what's in those foods, the actual benefits that the foods give our body and our body's dependency on these foods for nutrients that enable our immune system. And what about taste? I mean, these are foods that taste really good. And if one is not used to eating cleanly in this way, it may take a little bit of an adjustment, but ultimately you are going to feel better, be healthier, live longer, and enjoy eating. You know, thanks for bringing that up because, you know, over the last, you know, three decades of my career, we've cultivated the the most incredible array of incredible recipes of how to make healthy foods taste great, you know, from cauliflower pizzas to, you know, vanilla and, you know, um, banana-based vanilla ice creams and chocolate, you know, desserts that are made with, you know, just all fruit and whole grains and things like that and with no sugar and no sweeteners. You know, but you're right. It take, you know, a person used to salting and, and eating so much sugar and sweeteners, their taste buds become deadened. And they don't appreciate the beautiful um, foods and flavors and textures. And they're even they're so dead in taste buds, they can't even enjoy the subtle, um, you know, symphony of pleasures on your of taste on your tongue that's available in the natural world. In other words, it's a better tasting diet. And when you get in better health, your taste gets better, too. Yeah. And so it's actually more enjoyment of food, not less enjoyment. And of course, you know, this is, it's you know, called a no brainer, but of course there's a period of time where people are still addicted to their prior diet. They don't feel as well and their taste isn't overly stimulated like their old diet. And you know, these highly concentrated foods that have a high concentration of calories and rush into the bloodstream so fast, they become addictive substances that trigger overeating behavior and signal and stimulate dopamine centers in the brain to make you want to eat more and take over brain function in the way you think about food. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's my understanding that when we look to eliminate the culprits of bad health, that we look to white foods, white powdery substances, flour, sugar, salt. These are the things that cause inflammation in the body. Yeah, I always say the whiter the bread, the sooner you're dead. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, and I always, I always joke around. I say, um, don't trust anything too white. You know, cocaine, cigarettes, white bread, and I call the American diet the cake diet because people eat like 
pancakes, muffins, cold cereals that are processed grains in the morning. It's just like eating cake. And what's a muffin? It's just a piece of cake without, a, without an icing on top, or they have a donut or a, or a bagel. It's just all white flour. It's the same as sugar. There's no biochemical difference between a sugar cube and eating a flour product. And then they have a hamburger for lunch or a pizza for lunch, a slice of cake with a piece of meat or cheese on it. It's like a white bread is cake. And then for dinner, they have white flour pasta or white rice or some kind of more cake. It's just, it's, they're eating themselves to death and they, with, nothing, with no awareness that, that they become what they ate. I mean, my, I remember when my little, my kids were little babies and they were four and five years old, they used to say to me, why don't people know why what they eat makes their body? They just put all kinds of junk in it. They say, you know, it's just like everybody just does it. And it makes perfect sense. I had an experience a few years back with an autoimmune disease and I was told that I would not be able to heal what I had, which was Graves' disease, by the way. And I I said, fine, I'm going to go and try. And I did. I reversed it. And I've never had another episode. And it's been about 12 years. And so that is where I first came into contact with eating nutritionally excellent food, that it was really important to eat the kind of food that kept inflammation down in the body. And, and what I was putting in was actually helping to heal the condition. Absolutely. And it's just, it's so powerful. And there's so much needless suffering going on of people that are suffering with, you know, psoriatic arthritis and lupus, where they go into kidney failure and get a kidney transplant, when all they would have to do is change their diet to get well. And they'd rather go through a kidney transplant than change their diet. It's just unbelievable how, you know, it's funny because it brings up a case where I had a a teenage girl at 16 who was on the national renal transplant list with, with lupus waiting to get a new kidney and she got totally well by changing her diet and she just got all a hundred percent back to normal again and it's just like we're jumping with joy when these things occur and it's just like and everybody has to know this that you don't have to be sick and now we have people dying needlessly of covid and even some people that aren't elderly or don't have such serious sicknesses but you know it's 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 the weak and the people who are eating poorly are placing themselves at incredible risk and, you know, and nobody's talking about that, you know, that a healthy diet is the secret and is the answer to why people, some are getting hurt and some, and some die and others don't. It's all in our hands. We have the power to control our, whether we get a heart attack or a stroke or get demented and we can reduce our, and all the common cancers never occurred, you know, hundreds of years ago. They're all the result of dietary and environmental challenges. And so is COVID. COVID is nothing in the, in, in, and its effects on a healthy, a truly healthy person eating an excellent diet. Let's take a pause. And when we come back, let's talk more about that ways that we can bolster our immune systems through this clean eating. To learn more about Dr. Joel Furman, please visit drfurman.com on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That handle is Dr. Furman, except on Instagram, uh, 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 Joel Furman M. I believe it is, or MD. The book we're talking about today is Eat for Life, the breakthrough nutrient-rich program for longevity, disease reversal, and sustained weight loss. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound and HarvestingHappiness.com Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with Dr. Joel Furman, we're talking about the science of eating for optimal mental and physical health. Let's get back to it. Dr. Furman, prior to the break, you began speaking about maintaining good nutrition to protect us from COVID-19. And you said something that was really interesting. It got my attention when you said that COVID is nothing if we take care of our bodies. And I want to really uh, put some attention there and, and really drive home how important it is to take care of our immunity. 
Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I wrote a book, Super Immunity, a few years back, and I actually predicted or not say predicted, but I discussed the fact that, a, you know, some viral or bacterial infection is going to ravage the modern world because so many people have a poor immune function that we're going to be spreading. It's going to spread too quickly through the population because because more people are overweight and obese and unhealthy. And the amount of healthy people today are so are such, such in the, in the minority, you know, so in any case, and, the, and this is not going to be the end of serious infections in our lifetime. We the only way we can protect ourselves with security and confidence is by being in great health. Getting our so now's the time if you've thought about it, if you've checked out, if you haven't dieted, if you're giving up on dieting or losing weight, or think this is too tough for you, you didn't enjoy it in the past, you failed in the past, now's the point to jump back in, do it right, and realize that this is fun. It tastes great. It's it's exciting and puts you back in control of your life and removes the fear. And, you know, so there's just so many benefits and the, all the, the objections people have are mostly delusional and irrational excuses that addicts have. There's no good reason why a person can't do this and enjoy it. So absolutely that, you know, you, that we have incredible salad dressings that are healthy to put on a salad where you put a little raw onion or raw scallion or cooked mushroom pieces in the salad or a little bit of cruciferous green that's so protective, that's so important for immune function, like arugula or shredded or a little baby bok choy or, mm. you know, lettuce. What I'm, I'm saying getting to hungry you, now. <laughs> we know these protective foods, we know how to, and we know how to make the salad dressings taste incredible, you know. You know, little sun-dried tomatoes with that are soaked in tomato sauce with some mashed in almond butter, a little, um, you know, a little black fig vinegar and roasted garlic in there. We make an incredibly delicious dressing that's healthy with no sugar and no oil. Or a real, or a navel orange or a piece of mango blended with some toasted sesame seeds and cashews with some blood orange vinegar and a little squeeze of lemon is unbelievably delicious on a salad. The salads taste fantastic and people learn to love them. You, you can't be healthy unless you're eating raw green vegetables and you're not going to, there's no way your body can work. It doesn't function. Well, the, the ARE in the cells, the, it's called the antioxidant response element that works to repair broken DNA crosslinks and remove toxins and re repair damage is dependent on these green vegetable derived nutrients that you can't get. You have to live close to a hospital and have your body deteriorate if you're but so you have to know how to eat. And I'm saying right now that these, these four foods are so critical to incorporate in your diet. The two raw foods that help the breed the most favorable immune system and the most favorable microbiome at the same time, build up a real thickening of protective beneficial bacteria, blocking out harmful bacteria and viruses. Of course, the two raw foods are raw green vegetables like salad and raw, you know, and raw kale or collard, whatever, and, and raw onion or scallion. You have to eat that raw. You, so eating something in a salad is so critical. And the two cooked foods are the cooked mushrooms which we cook in water or we stew or something in a soup, and cooked beans. So that combination of beans, mushrooms cooked, and, and onions and greens raw is incredibly protective. What are the most nutritionally packed bean? Well, you know what? People are not going to believe this. But even though we use azuki beans and red kidney beans and black beans as very powerful protective against cancers like breast and prostate cancer, but the most powerfully protective against cancer, especially breast and prostate cancer, is the malign soybean. Oh, really? You know, yeah, the genistein and the fibers in soybeans. Soybeans have a particular anti-estrogenic effect on breast and prostate tissue. So in other words, what I'm saying is that from being overweight, the fat cells activate aromatase, which means overweight people produce more estrogen and have more fatty infiltration of the breast tissue, so more estrogen stimulation of breast tissue. And of course, now what we're saying is the body that the the soybean and other beans too, but the soybean in particular has has the opposite effect, anti-estrogenic effect to block the exposure of the estrogen receptors to the extra estrogen. Of course, losing weight and getting healthy, you're going to lower the estrogens anyway. But we want people to eat a variety of foods, and what we find is that a symphony that the, a, a variety of foods are important for maximizing human health. And never before in human history did we have an opportunity to eat such a variety of high nutrient plants like we have today. So while we have this opportunity to eat, eat garbage and ruin our health, we also have the opportunity to have great health and live longer than ever before and really be super protected if we want to. In your book, Eat for Life, the, uh, the Breakthrough Nutrition-Rich Program for Longevity, Disease Reversal, and Sustained Weight Loss, you have the nutritarian diet recipes. And 
amongst these recipes are some things that are absolutely, to me, mouthwatering. Curried eggless salad with cashews and dried apricots, for one. Edamame corn and tomato salad with balsamic dressing. You've got desserts in here that look absolutely incredible. Uh, almond blondies, blue cherry crumble. This is not a deprivation diet. This is feeding ourselves diet. And you know, it's like people will taste some of those desserts and the first time they taste them, they'll say they're not as sweet as what I was expecting because we're not putting sweeteners in and we're flavoring it with a little bit of maybe date. Maybe it's one date per serving, max, something like that. But the point is, it's amazing how when you get healthier, your taste gets better and you start to enjoy these desserts and these flavors and these, and these menus and recipes better than your old diet. You know, I did publish a study on more than 750 people looking at that issue is how much besides their hunger and weight loss and, and their food addiction symptoms, we also tracked whether they enjoyed eating this way as much. And we found that as the months went by from the beginning to month six, they had a gradual increase in how much they loved the recipes and liked eating this way. And at the five or six month mark, they liked eating this way either as much or more than their initial diet. And I want to, I'm looking at more of these recipes. I'm, I'm now on the avocado toast with shredded Brussels sprouts, which sound incredible to me, but you advocate the use of whole grain sprouted bread. It's not like it's, you're not saying never have another slice of bread in your life. You're saying, let's just swap this out for something that's meaningful. Right. And I, you know, and I, we make our own breads and grow our own sprouts too, but there are some brands out there that are made from whole grain sprouts that are really low glycemic. And I have no financial relationship with those brands at all. I'm not benefiting by mentioning their names, but things like, you know, um, like Ezekiel breads or the Amata breads. There are these frozen breads you can buy in the, in the health food stores and the supermarkets that are really healthy, but mostly people buy those soft breads that are like high glycemic that are made with like pastry flour that melt in your mouth. You know what I mean? But the, what I'm saying, these tougher, more coarse breads are more natural and have lower glycemic effects is what the ones we recommend. Uh, there is a G-bomb Thai vegetable curry that is on my list to try. I'm going to be making that, I think, tonight. I mean, these are very, very flavorful foods. And I think that we can all agree, listeners included, that diets really don't work. Yes, you can drop weight by going onto a diet plan, but it's really about making this holistic lifestyle shift from I'm going to lose weight to I'm going to take charge of my health. Right. Well, thanks for bringing that up. It's so critical because people think they're going to do something to lose weight, but it's, you're not going to keep it off and it's not going to benefit you unless you stayed eating that way for the rest of your life. And you can only stay eating something for the rest of your life if, if it meets certain criteria and it has to be something that's going to be healthy for you long term. So why start with something crazy at the beginning? Start with – because you're eventually going to – weight's going to gravitate towards where you – where your diet gravitates to long-term. So we have to get people to gravitate towards a long-term healthy diet and teach them about eating to prevent disease and eating for life and eating to keep their brain function and their physical body intact and eating to enjoy life. And then your weight will take care of itself. I have a question. How many pharmaceutical prescriptions do you think the average 50-year-old is on in America? I don't know. I don't oh know. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm asking. There's uh, a method to the madness of the question. Yeah, I know most people over 65 on drugs are on more than one more are on more than one medication, and they're not tested and, and studied to be on multiple medications the way they're prescribed by doctors, and they they're toxic. That we've yeah. learned in the first in the first pharmacology course in medical school, they teach us all drugs are poisonous. They toxin. They work by blocking, interfering, or you know some way of, of stopping body function. They're not health foods. They're not nutrients. They're damaging, and there's no side effect. Every drug has some poisonous effects, which we call side effects because they are poisons. The other day, I was making an appointment with a new healthcare provider for just an annual physical, and I was doing a, a history over the phone. I'm in my mid-50s, and the person who was taking the intake asked me what my medications were, and I said, none. She says, what do you mean, none? I said, none. Why would I take medications? She goes, we don't, we don't really hear of that here. That's sad. It's very so sad. sad. Yeah, sad that we have such, we have so many sick people so many suffering people and even we're seeing now young people get strokes and younger people now get diabetes and I have a young per, you know, young people with getting kidney failure. It's like, it's just so sad that people aren't really, which should be reading, writing, arithmetic and nutritional science 
because we have a, we're destroying the, the population and we're destroying our our modern world. We're causing an extinction of you know it's just like we're doing so many things that all um, falls back and goes back to taking care of our bodies rightly and making right decisions long term with the right foods in our mouth and to at the same time long term decision making that properly takes care of our, our earth at the same time. So what I hear you saying is if we want to preserve health longevity, uh, immunity, not get COVID, not get cancer, and not age without losing our minds, the path is through what we put in our bodies, what we ingest, what we eat, and the lifestyle that we choose, which does give us control. It gives us a miraculous degree of control that has given me a tremendous, I'm so, I'm grateful for the, be able to have, you know, taken care of so many hundreds of thousands of people and help so many thousands. And, you know, through some of my PBS radio television shows too, um, obviously millions of people have seen, have been exposed to this work and are getting this messaging from other doctors that, are, that I, as well. So I think that there's more greater awareness of this type of control people can have over their health. And now it's time for the population listening out there to jump ship off the junk food and start mm-hmm. learning how to live healthfully and do this. And, and, and cause we all got, we're all together. You know, we all are together as a family on the world today, and we've got to take care of our health, take care of our planet, and really be in, in, in be joined working for common, the common good, you know, and have goodwill for each other. Dr. Joel Furman, thank you for teaching us how to take better care of ourselves, to learn more, and to read Eat for Life, the breakthrough nutrient-rich program for longevity, disease reversal, and sustained weight loss. Please visit drfurman.com on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. Furman and on Instagram at Joel Furman. Dr. Furman, thanks for being with me. Thanks for for sharing your passion with us. I mean, it it comes through. My pleasure. Good, best of health, of course, to you and all your listeners. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness this week. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Dr. Rupi Aujla and Dr. Joel Furman, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to each other. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.